It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 280, Quantum podcast that looks at news and views from a Christian perspective from throughout the world, arts, music, culture as well, sport, uh, everything that we can cram in in the next half hour or so. Uh, And thanks to all of you who have uh, reviewed and said nice things. That's great. Um, But we are going to look back at some of the stuff that's been going on over this past week and follow up from last week as well. I was so amazed last week. I used Status Quo's album, 12 Gold Bars, and I was astonished to discover how many of you are secret or not-so-secret Quo fans. Uh, I was going to say there won't be any Quo today, but actually there might be one little bit. But we are going to start with some music because it's coming towards Christmas, and this is possibly the best secular Christmas song that has ever been. It was Christmas Eve, babe In the drunk tank An old man said to me Won't see another one And then he sang a song The rare old mountain dew I turned my face away Undreamed about you Got on the lucky one Came in late into one I've got a feeling This year's for me and you So happy Christmas I love you baby I can see a better time When all our dreams come true They got cars big as bars They got rivers of gold But the wind goes right through you It's no place for the old When you first took my hand On a cold Christmas Eve Pretty queen of New York City When, when the band finished playing They held up for more Sinatra was swinging All the drunk they were singing We kissed on the corner Then danced through the night The boys of the NYPD choir Were singing Go away, babe And the bells were ringing out For Christmas Day That Shane McGowan, Kirsty McCall, the Pogues, Fairy Tale of New York. Uh, <laughs> it was amazing. We, I think I featured it before because people wanted to ban it because it used uh, a derogatory term um, for homosexuals. Um, strange how censorious our society has become about some things whilst letting others go. But I pray that because Shane McGowan died, a fascinating character. 
very confused, very messed up in lots of ways. Somebody who was both a rebel and, in some ways, a devout Catholic. And that gets me to think, thinking about Ireland as well. And we featured Ireland last week. Well, here's an astonishing clip following on from that. Brian Casey, of course, was the, the boyfriend of the murdered teacher, Ashling uh, Murphy. He prefaced his victim impact statement by saying his girlfriend's murderer had lived off the state without contributing to it for 10 years. And then he said, I feel like this country is no longer the country that Ashling and I grew up in and has officially lost its innocence when a crime of this magnitude could be perpetrated in broad daylight. We have to once and for all, he said, start putting the safety of not only Irish people, but everybody in this country who works hard, pays taxes, raises families and overall contributes to society first. Um, th those were very interesting comments, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, I think elements of them were not good, frankly. I think they were incitement to hatred. And I think that's why aspects of the media left out aspects of them. Um, I, this was an extremely heartbroken and devastated young man who has lost the partner of his life. But the, the race and nationality of the man who perpetrated that awful violence on Ashling and murdered her, is irrelevant, um, and I, I, he, I can understand, you know, in the emotion and him feeling that, and he's entitled to his views. But I think the media has a responsibility to not report um, views that are incitement to hatred, and he is being held up as a hero of the far right now. Um, so interesting, you may call them, um, but I, well, I think complex. I suppose is another word that you could use for them. I, 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 now go back to last week's to get the full story. But in effect, what you've got here, this is really important. You have got Irish Times journalist Kitty Holland saying that they had the right to not publish the full comments of Ryan Casey. He was the boyfriend of the murdered twenty-three-year-old, and you've heard what those comments were but they shouldn't broadcast them because they're an incitement to hatred. It wouldn't be helpful to share them. And that media has a responsibility not to report views which could be an incitement to hatred. And that race and nationality were not relevant. Okay, I want you to do a thought experiment. Imagine a white American, let's say Southern, Catholic priest had done something like this in Ireland. Do you think for one second that Kitty Holland would not be talking about whiteness, not be talking about Catholicism. She says it's got nothing to do with race. But she would bring race into it if the woman who was murdered was of a different skin colour. You see, what we've got here is certain parts of the media deciding what can and cannot be said according to their particular ideology. And ironically, she says she's doing it to discourage the far right. But in reality, what she ends up doing is feeding the far right because when she censors, then those who claim that the mainstream media are not listening or not expressing different points of view are proven to be right. And yeah, yeah, that helps feed the far right. Okay, one of the things that I love about doing this is you contact me and you give me news and uh, you contacted me about a story that I'd seen I hadn't paid much attention to. But I think we've got to, to go to this country. So first of all, here's its national anthem.
That is, of course, the Venezuelan national anthem from uh, Venezuela, the capital Caracas, a Spanish-speaking country, country that's 916,000 square kilometres, uh, over 12 times the size of Scotland, which is how we measure things. <laughs> uh, 31 million people. Uh, 93% professing to be Christian with 80% Catholic. Uh, it's interesting that that national anthem translates as glory to the brave people who shook off the yoke, the law respecting virtue and honour. Down with chains, shouted the Lord. It's so interesting because you asked me to have a look at this because of a situation that's occurring with the country of Guyana. Now, Guyana is next door. It's a very unusual uh, country in South America because it's 40% Indian, 30% African, 31% of the population are Hindu, 51% Christian, 214,000 square kilometres, 800,000 people, a former UK colony that is now independent. So, what's going on? This is the next war, I'm afraid. It looks like it. Venezuela, Nicolas Maduro, carried out a referendum on whether more thirds, more than two-thirds of Guyanese territory is actually Venezuelan. Now, why does he want it? It's all to do with oil. Venezuela has huge amounts of oil. But now Guyana, a country that's... I was going to say it's two and a half times the size of Scotland, size of Idaho. It's it's a giant also in oil reserves. And uh, this referendum, well, ExxonMobil has a multi-billion dollar investment in Guyana. And in effect, what Venezuela are threatening to do is invade Guyana and take it over. And the referendum seems to give him some kind of legitimacy for doing that. Now, I think this shows several things. First of all, I think it shows the weakness of the US, and it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Secondly, it shows the power of Iran, which is seen in the Middle East because Venezuela is very close with Iran. So keep an eye on that situation. I haven't seen it discussed much in the Western media, but I do think it is very, very important. And thanks to those of you who brought my attention to it. So I'll tell you what, let's have a little bit of Venezuelan music. This is, I'm not even sure how you pronounce her name, Cua Trombone, a piece of music called El Ronzagon, and we'll just listen to a little bit of it. Let's move over to something that uh, when we looked at the ARC conference, this was pointed out, the dumbing down of education. 
Now, this is occurring in lots of countries. In my native country of Scotland, somewhat spectacularly, it has been absolutely uh, dreadful. Uh, they have Scotland now has its worst statistics ever. A significant proportion are functionally illiterate. In Australia, there's a report come out that says the same thing. This is all to do with the international scores. That 43% of Australian teenagers cannot read to the, to the required standard to be able to to read a map. 43%. They've estimated that students today are a year behind students 20 years ago and four years behind students in Asian countries like Korea and Taiwan and China. And one of the primary causes of this is gaming and social media harming. We are, we are dumbing down, and yet we have political parties like the Greens and others saying we need to give children votes because they're not capable of thinking for themselves, but they'll do what they're told. Very depressing. Uh, let's have a bit of world news. There's been a volcanic eruption in Indonesia at Mount Marapi. Um, what struck me about this, I mean, it's, it's sad that I think around 20 people have been killed, but that there have been six other volcanic eruptions in the past two weeks. You know, we've got all these plans in terms of everything, and a volcanic eruption can really disturb it, you know, destroy everything, can't it? Uh, fascinating item in the news, the exiled sister of the Castros, Janita Castro, has died. You know, Fidel and Raul Castro. Um, she left Miami when the, she thought the revolution went wrong. And she, she ran a pharmacy in Florida for a long time, but also campaigned against her brothers. Well, she's died age 90. And then Kim Jong-un in uh, North Korea. He's encouraged people, he's encouraged women in North Korea to have as many children as possible to overcome a declining birth rate, which is 1.8%. He also incidentally says, tells them to flog their children and make them work on building sites or join the army because having children without morality, socialist morality, he calls it. Yeah. But... North Korea is doing better than South Korea in that regard. South Korea, South Korea now has the lowest birth rate in the world, 0.8%, which bodes considerable trouble. All right, um, I, we spoke a week ago about woke capitalism. This is where it leads. Uh, this is, well, listen to this first. We probably spent a quarter of a million quid. It was the first time we, we were meant to go to America and then we couldn't because of COVID. So we ended up working with a clinic in San Diego and we went to Mexico. I mean, we were slightly knobheads at this reason as well because I wanted to make sure that I we knew who the egg donor was. I wanted them to be super fit. You go to the bar and you go, I'm going to procreate that person, right? You, that's you, your choice as a human. I wanted to find someone that I know is going to be absolute smoke show. Basically, we chose Emily Bratanowski. <laughs> so there's a company in LA and they have a company that basically is supermodels 
who are Ivy League educated. So they have to have gone to like Brown, Columbia. Oh, no. Oh, Owen went to Columbia. That feels a bit strange, is it not? Or no? It's a bit prostitute isn't it? Let's I think on. it's quite fabulous. But the eggs were terribly expensive. But we got a Brazilian supermodel. Now that is as horrific as it sounds. It's Ollie and Gareth Locke. Locke, I think that's how they call themselves. They've got a podcast, Newly Dads. They are kind of a mega wealthy gay couple who are boasting about how they purchased uh, eggs from a Brazilian supermodel. This is where it all leads. This is woke capitalism. Rich people socially, biologically engineering, using women and speaking in such a derogatory way as well. Oh, brave new world. All right, time for a music break. Um, This, believe it or not, apparently, although we're only on December the 7th, I'm told this is the Christmas number one. Now, I don't know how they've determined that, but this is apparently to be, it it is the number one in the United States just now. Uh, Enjoy this. That's Brenda Lee, of course, uh, rocking around the Christmas tree. Well, at least it's not Mariah Carey, who's usually every Christmas. Or thankfully not Taylor Swift, Swift, who's on the um, Time magazine as their person of the year. I'm sorry, I I, I, gotta, I suppose I'll have to go and listen to a whole album, but I just don't get Taylor Swift. But I did love Brenda Lee, and I'll tell you what, I'm sorry. I kind of said there wouldn't be any status quo, but we have to have a little bit of this. That's Status Quo's Christmas song. 
All right, let's come back down to earth. Um, we want there to be peace at Christmas. And of course, we're back to Israel and Gaza. Just a couple of things to pick up here. Firstly, Hamas has an official statement. They call themselves the Islamic Resistance Movement. And they say they condemn Britain's intention to participate with its army in the genocidal war against our Palestinian people in the Gaza Strip. And in that statement, they say this, Britain should have corrected its historical position that was offensive to our people and atoned for the Balfour Declaration, which is the sin of the century, instead of committing another sin and reminding the world of its shameful colonial past. Now, the Balfour Declaration is something that was very much influenced by the the, the Wilberforce-Clapham sect. Uh, in other words, evangelical Christians. And the Balfour Declaration was a declaration from the British government that they would establish a Jewish state, a Jewish homeland in Israel, the homeland of the Jews. Um, That became much more essential after the horrors of the Holocaust. Now, but get this, Hamas, you can understand them being opposed to that, but they call it the sin of the century, not the murder of six million Jews but offering the Jews a home in the Middle East. That's the sin of the century. And that kind of rhetoric we've seen in different things. So let me just tell you what's going on in the United Kingdom and in Australia and in America. At a mosque in Manchester, the imam prayed for the victory of the Mujahideen fighting the enemy of Allah and Islam. Protect them from the usurping Jews. Almighty, take them away. This is on one day. This is on the 20th of last month. On that same day in Redbridge, an imam delivered a sermon in which he taught the Quranic lessons about Muhammad's slaughter of the Jews and concluded with the prayer that the Muslims should have victory over the cursed Jews and infidels, scatter them and rip their groups apart, he prayed. Destroy their houses and homes. Bring them down and punish them like you do criminals. Make Muslims get their victory over the usurping Jews. And at the local Islamic centre in Lewisham, which has received hundreds of thousands of pounds of taxpayer support, the Iman said that Muslim countries must invade Israel for their honour. And tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in Britain have campaigned for that. And here in Australia. So when an imam called for all Arabs to spit on Jews, did this in a public sermon so that they drown, according to New South Wales police, that's not hate speech and requires no action. Yeah, but if you misgender someone... Now, if you think that's bad enough, you must listen to this. This is the presidents of Harvard and Penn. This is just part of their interview. I I couldn't believe this. I actually thought initially this was fake, but it's not. Listen to this. I am asking, specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. It's a context-dependent decision. That's your testimony today. Calling for the genocide of Jews is depending upon the context. That is not bullying or harassment. This is the easiest question to answer yes, Ms. McGill. So is your testimony that you will not answer yes? If it is, if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes. Conduct meaning committing the act of genocide? The speech is not harassment? This is unacceptable, Ms. McGill. I'm gonna give you one more opportunity for the world to see your answer. 
Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. And Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. What's the context? Targeted as an individual, targeted as, at an individual. It's targeted at Jewish students, Jewish individuals. Do you understand your testimony is dehumanizing them? Do you understand that dehumanization is part of anti-Semitism? I will ask you one more time. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment? Yes or no? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when and it crosses into conduct. And is it anti-Semitic rhetoric? Anti-Semitic rhetoric when it crosses into conduct that amounts to bullying, harassment, intimidation, that is actionable conduct and we do take action. You've got it, haven't you? You've, you've grasped what the, what's going on here. They were asked if calling for genocide of Jews was hateful speech or conduct. And their response, they refused to say it was hateful. Their response is it's a context-dependent decision depending on the actions. What, if they actually go and do it? Calling for the death of Jews is not harassment. Imagine if you're a Jewish student. Or imagine if people were calling for the elimination of any other ethnic group. And when you watch that, and I'll put a link to the video, they're smirking and they're smug. Harvard, Yale, I am absolutely convinced of this. Penn, these American elitist universities are have become from the pit of hell. They really have. And they are they are so imper culturally imperialistic, trying to impose this on the rest of the world. And sadly, woke elites in other parts of the Western world just follow that. Okay, I was going to do something on an article in Newsweek. Um where Israel's First Lady Michelle Herzog recalled a few incidents of the brutality, rape, mutilation and incineration of women in southern Israel on the 7th of October. I don't have time to do that, but just to say that the UN Women's Statement on the Situation in Israel and the Occupied Palestinian Territory doesn't mention that. It is astonishing. It is absolutely astonishing. And it's strange how progressive feminists who are telling us we must believe all women. I have seen so many posts where people saying, now this is just made up. People, I don't know, the world's going insane. All right, speaking of an insane world, I'm going to stop there. Uh, we'll come back, I'm sure, to all of this. Just so distressing, isn't it? Distressing for people on all sides, really. Um, we'll say something more from a Palestinian Christian just before the end. But here's something from the woke world. It's the two Ronnies. And finally, the draw for next year's Wimbledon doubles championship was made tonight. There will be a confused opening round in which a woman and a man who used to be a woman uh, meets a man and a woman who used to be a man. <laughs> the winner of that match will play a man who became a woman but is now a man again, partnered by a woman who's saving up to be a ball boy. Well, they were prescient. Uh, this week, I'm looking forward to seeing the next part of The Crown. But, I, I mean, I have to say this about King Charles. Because he said something at COP28, which was astonishing. He said this, The earth does not belong to us, we belong to the earth. No, 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 no. Psalm 24. 
The earth belongs unto the Lord and all that it contains. The earth belongs to God. We belong to God, not to the earth. Now, it's so amazing, you know, King Charles, I think, it was, this was, was this in The Guardian? I can hardly believe it's in The Guardian. But I read this somewhere, I'm just quoting it. He lives a life of pampered indulgence where no expense is spared to ensure his every comfort. To spread his malevolent net zero fantasies, he has a fleet of cars, private planes, and even a personal train at his command. He uses these to call for transformational action to be taken to save the planet. Wow. Uh, a couple of things about the church. First of all, why not some craft work? That is the Roboter. Um, it's actually a clip from six years ago, which is with techno versions of them. Kraftwerk, of course, the 1970s. Uh, and I'm playing that because of all papers, I don't read this one, but the Daily Star has, has a great front page with um, Father Ted uh, and, the, and the headline, Down With That Sort Of Thing, Top Boffins Predict Robots Will Spell The End For Vickers And Priests. And I've been reading Elon Musk saying that uh, AI will soon be able to do anything. Now, let me just say something about this. Uh, a lot of sermons I've heard, and I, I hope not sermons I produced, but I, I'm so just wound up with vicars and ministers and priests being so obsessed with technique and form. And when they are, yeah, a robot can take their job because a robot will probably do it better. But a robot will never have the spirit and will never be able to communicate like a human being, which is what preachers are supposed to be. Uh, we've had a guy called Jeremy Camp here in Australia, and here is him singing a great classic. Oh, little town of Bethlehem How still we see the light Above thy deep and dreamless the silent stars go by Yet in thy dark street shineth The everlasting light The hopes and fears of all the years Amen I mention that because, as I said, uh, Lara, a Palestinian Christian, has written a good article in, I think it's Premier, it is, it's Premier Christianity, uh, complaining that the authorities in Bethlehem have decided not to display their annual nativity scene at Christmas, at Christmas, and she's saying they should, but she's saying that 
as a Palestinian Christian, it saddens me to witness how politicized churches in the Middle East have become. And she wonders about the church being able to acknowledge losses and wrong on both sides, which I think is a good thing. Oh, holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast down our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We Uh, thanks to Peter for producing this. Thanks to those of you who continue to contribute and thanks to those of you who reviewed. If you want to uh, help us fund this, please go to the Podbean fundraiser. If you want to provide more information or have questions or complaints, then just go to the website www.theweefly.com or email me at theweefly at gmail.com. Uh, you get all the links there as well. God bless you and, uh, you know, may... May we see peace on earth. I do this every year. I, this is still my favorite version. I was going to say it's my favorite metal version, but it's my favorite version of a carol, I think. It's my favorite carol. It's my favorite version of this carol. We will be singing it on Sunday at our church, at Scotskirk in Hamilton, uh, Newcastle, if you ever want to look it up. Uh, I can absolutely guarantee you we won't be doing it this way, which is a bit of a shame. I would prefer it, to be honest, to the way we do do it. Uh, We'll be singing it with an organ and uh, the words will still be the same. Beautiful words. But I love this version. So enjoy Theocracies, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I just continue to pray for all these areas where there's so much trouble and lift up Christ. God bless you. See you next week. Bye.